Hello, friends. Welcome to Trivia Over Tea, the quiz show podcast where we drink tea and play trivia. I am your host, Matthew Cook, and I'm here virtually once again with our scorekeeper, Carter Zanke. Carter, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Got some water, drank some tea earlier. I'm all hydrated. Fantastic. Well, let's meet this week's contestants uh, returning uh, for their second. Well, I I guess Matthew's been on a few times. Um, Lucas will be uh, on for the second time today. But uh, we have the Hauser twins once again. Uh, First, we have Matthew. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be on Trivia Over Tea again. And um, yeah, I hope to improve my record. Very good. Well, thank you for coming back once again. Uh, And we also have Lucas. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on. Uh, the first time didn't go so well, so we'll see if we get a different result today. I think I'm ready because I am currently holding two water bottles, each with its own Trivia Over Tea sticker on it. So I don't know if there's any way I can lose at this point. No, you've got all the good karma on your side uh, today. Uh, thank you for displaying those stickers uh, for us, Lucas. And thank you for being here as always. As with our uh, all of our regular episodes, we'll have four rounds of questions today, each with a slightly different format. And so without further ado, Carter will explain the rules for round one. Round one is our first general knowledge round, where they each get five multiple choice questions. Questions here are worth 10 points each. If you get the right answer, you'll get those 10 points. All righty, Matthew, you're up first. Are you ready? As always, I'm ready for the next round of Family Feud. Fantastic. <laughs> here we go. Question one. Which team has won the most Rose Bowl games? A, Michigan, B, Ohio State, or C, USC? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, <laughs> I wish the answer was Michigan, but I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm going to say uh, that it's OSU. Um, it was actually USC. Uh, the Trojans Oof. have won 25 Rose Bowls, although none recently. Um, Ohio State is second with nine, and Michigan third with eight. And I will say, fight on. Uh, question two. What infamous Pop Tropica Island was so notoriously confusing that the game had to eventually add in an in-game guide in order to help players find their way through the island? A, Astronites, B, Counterfeit, or C, Steamworks? Uh, I was more of a club penguin guy myself back in like <laughs> 2008, uh, but I'm going to go with B. Uh, it was actually A, Astronites. Um, and then what Mason wrote was, let the record show that the writer of this question, Mason Cook, completed Astronites years before the guide was implemented. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. We're, we're very proud of him. Yeah. Good job, Mason. But uh, I was a secret agent in Club Penguin, so I think think I'm on the same level as him. Well, we have a celebrity among us. I did not realize that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm expecting my star in Hollywood any day now. (laughs) I'll go to your ceremony. It's not far from me. (laughs) Um, At any rate, question three. How large is an average human vocal fold? A, 1.2 to 2.4 centimeters, B, 2 to 3 centimeters, or C, 2.6 to 3.4 centimeters? Hmm. I'm thinking of my throat right now and like (laughs) just what's vibrating when I talk. I'm going to say it is uh, C. Um, No, they're actually really small. 1.2 to 2.4 
centimeters, it was A. Um, and uh, men's folds are on average larger than uh, women's vocal folds. But yeah, very small. Right, then I'm out. <laughs> uh, question four. The Queen Charlotte Islands and Eastern Greenland subspecies are extinct varieties of what North American mammals known for their long antlers? A, moose, B, caribou, or C, lynx? Antlers. Well, that's either caribou or what was the first one? Moose? Moose. And it's extinct. Um, I'm going to say caribou. That is correct. Yes. And finally, question five. What South American city's airport is named for Simon Bolivar? A, Bogota, B, Caracas, or C, Quito? This is so unfair. <laughs> uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Caracas. That is correct. Uh, it is the largest airport in Venezuela. All righty. Lucas, are you ready for your five questions? As I said before, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. All righty. Question one. The Christ the Redeemer statue looms over what South American city? A, Lima, B, Rio de Janeiro, or C, Buenos Aires? Um, that would be Rio. That is correct. It was dedicated in 1931. Question two. Which of the following quarterbacks did not win the Heisman Trophy in college? A, Carson Palmer, B, Sam Bradford, or C, Tua Tagovailoa? Um, the answer for that one would be Tua. I don't think Tua ever won the Heisman Trophy. That is correct. Carson Palmer won in 2002 and Sam Bradford yep. won in 2008. Question three. In Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, what did the author satirically suggest to the impoverished people in Ireland in order to get out of poverty? A, that they invade England and sell the king to France. B, that they throw all their resources into baking cake into baking cakes, or C, that they sell their children to starving nobles. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I like. I really don't know the answer, but I like the approaches of each of these. I think uh, they're really valuable insights into how we can fix world's economic problems. Um, let's go with um, sell the king to France. Um, no, it's actually C, that they sell their children to starving nobles. Um, the essay was meant to, uh, to uh, satirize the often patronizing suggestions and proposals that those outside of Ireland would give to the Irish to solve their problems. That was a Mason question. I have not yeah. read Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. Question four. Which of, the far, which of the following cartilaginous structures closes over the top of the trachea to direct food to the esophagus? A, the epiglottis. B, the thyroarytenoid, or C, the hyoid. Okay, so above the trachea, that's we're talking throat here. Um, the only thing, you know, the, the other words meant absolutely nothing to me, but one of them sounded kind of like thyroid, and I know that's in your throat neck area, so that's what I'm going to go with. Um, actually, it was the epiglottis. Okay. Um, the thyroarytenoid is actually a muscle, and uh, it constitutes about 90% of your vocal fold. And uh, the hyoid is a bone. It is the only bone in the larynx. So as, as I've said the last couple of episodes, I'm currently taking a class called vocology um, in which I'm learning about 
how the voice works and how the, how singing is a whole body experience. And so I'm finally able to write some biology questions because now I know about some stuff that goes on in the body. So I'm taking full advantage of that. It's also a way for me to study. So no, absolutely. As you should. Working this way in here. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, question five. In 1859, San Francisco businessman Joshua Norton declared himself what? A, Lord Protector of San Francisco, B, Guardian of Mankind, or C, Emperor of the United States? Ooh, these are all amazing titles. Um, let's go Emperor of the United States. That is correct. Uh, despite having let's go despite having no actual power <laughs> emperor norton as he was called was treated deferentially by the citizens of san francisco and there was even currency issued with his picture on it uh, his place in obscure san francisco popular culture surfaces from time to time including uh, in several attempts to rename the san francisco bay bridge after him <laughs> so, amazing that's amazing um, this is one of my new favorite historical figures. I had no idea that this person existed until about two days ago. So, yeah, Emperor Norton, everybody. Got to do a dive, deep dive on Google on that one. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, quite an interesting figure. He, he issued a, dec a decree in 1859 um, in which he dissolved Congress. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently word hasn't reached them yet. But at any rate. That's the end of round Jared. one. Uh, Carter, can you please give us a score update? We have Matthew at 20 and Lucas at 30. All righty, and now it is time for round two. So Carter, can you please tell us the rules? Yes, in round two, you will each get five open-ended questions, each on the same topic. Questions here are worth 20 points each. If you get one wrong, your opponent can answer for 10 points. All righty. So before we started recording, I told Matthew and Lucas that I thought they would like the category that I chose for them for round two. Um, as uh, frequent listeners to this podcast will know, anytime a presidential birthday arises, I always try to um, write questions about that uh, president. And uh, October 12th, the date that this podcast is being released, is not actually a president's birthday, but October 5th, the previous Wednesday, is and of course we are doing episodes every other week right now so i thought well we can just save him for this week and that president of course is chester allen arthur uh who was born october 5th 1829 died november 18th 1886 so you both are going to get five questions about chester allen arthur matthew are you ready i'm so excited but i'd like to say before these questions begin i'm going to invoke my good luck charm which is my trivia over tea sticker on my laptop which you can't see right now but i would, would like to note that one <laughs> sticker on one laptop is more expensive than two stickers on two water bottles duly noted the, the record <laughs> shall so reflect thank you for that all righty here we go <laughs> question one before switching to the republican party Arthur was a member of what political party that was represented in the White House by President Zachary Taylor, among others? Oh, that would be the Whig Party. That is correct. He switched to the Republican Party in 1854. Question two. After being admitted to the bar, he joined a law firm in what city that would be his residence for the rest of his life? Was he from, uh, I feel like Arthur was from Ohio for some reason, or Pennsylvania. They all were but at I, that time. Yeah. So 
among those cities, his law firm. I'm going to go with, uh, we'll go with Cleveland. No, not Cleveland. Lucas? Let me just guess New York City. It was New York City. Yep. Um, the, uh, the Chester A. Arthur home is located at 123 Lexington Avenue in the Rose Hill neighborhood of Manhattan. The first two floors of the townhouse is now Colustian's, a Middle Eastern and Indian grocery store. So there you go. Question three. Arthur suddenly became president following the assassination of what president in 1881? That would be James Garfield. That is correct. President Garfield was shot by Charles Gateau at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C. on July 2nd, 1881, though he did not die until September 19th. While Garfield still lived, there were lingering questions about who could exercise presidential authority, and Arthur refused to travel to D.C. throughout the summer. Especially toward the end, there was no authority from the executive branch. But the question of who has authority um, was clarified in the 25th Amendment nearly a century later. Question four, who was the only member of Garfield's cabinet who remained through the entirety of Arthur's term? It's somebody you've heard of. And this right. is one of my new favorite pieces of trivia. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it was a Republican administration. Um, and I'm trying to think of Republicans I've heard of from that time. There's McKinley, there's Theodore Roosevelt, there's Taft. Um, uh, I'm going who remained the entire time. I thought Roosevelt at that time was um, in New York politics, though I could be wrong. I'm going to say it was um, McKinley. Not McKinley. Lucas? Was it, I remember William Tecumseh Sherman, either in the 1870s or 1880s, came back as Secretary of War or Secretary of the Army. Was he the one who survived both presidencies? Well, you got the cabinet position correct. It was Secretary of War, um, but this was actually Robert Todd Lincoln, um, the oh. only surviving oh. child of Abraham and Mary Todd Lincoln. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Garfield and Arthur be- came from different factions of the Republican Party, and all the rest of the cabinet resigned within seven months of Garfield's death. So there you go. And finally, question five. In 1882, Arthur signed the Edmonds Act into law which made what practice popular among members of the LDS church a felony? Would this be um, polygamy? That is correct. It also made it illegal for polygamists to vote, hold public office, or serve on federal juries. All righty, Lucas, are you ready for your five questions? Yep, let's let's hear them. I don't know how, how many more trivia facts I know about Chester A. Arthur, but we'll find out. Well, you know... I I learned a lot about Chester Arthur this week because I did not know a lot about Chester Arthur. Um, and uh, it was a bit of a stretch to come up with 10. I will say that. Um, but somehow we managed to do it. Anyway, here we go. Question one. As a student supporting Henry Clay, Arthur participated in a brawl against supporters of what 1844 Democratic nominee who ended up winning the election? That would be... James K. Polk, who won the 1844 election. That is correct. Yes. Question two. Arthur attended Union College, a private liberal arts institution located in what city close to Albany? Union College near Albany. Would that be, uh, I don't know my uh, New York 
geography that well. I know um, near Albany, I don't think Poughkeepsie is that close to Albany, but that's what I'm going to go with. Oh, wait, not... wait, wait, is it Troy? No. Uh, I already, I'm wrong anyways. You're, yeah, either way, you're wrong. Matthew, do you know? Um, ooh, I don't know. Would this be, uh, no, it, would it be, I'm just going to say Rochester, but I know that's not right. No, yeah, that's clear across on the other side of the state. This is uh, Schenectady, New York. Uh, okay. Yeah. I didn't announce it. Uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Schenectady. Um, Arthur's family lived in an, in and around the Schenectady area for much of his childhood. Question three. As a young lawyer, Arthur was a lead attorney on a case that resulted in the desegregation of what method of transportation in New York City? Um, and I'll say this was in 1854. 1854? Yeah. Okay. So if we're desegregating in 1854, it's likely not going to be subway um, or rail or bus. Um, what kind of public transportation would you have in 1854? Um, would it be a streetcar? It would be a streetcar, yep. In 1854, he represented Elizabeth Jennings Graham, who was denied on a seat, uh, denied a seat on a streetcar because she was black. Question four. What was the first elected position that Arthur held? This was another really interesting fact. First elected position. Um, I know he's, you know, we've, we've established that he's from New York. But um, I don't know if he held statewide office in New York because um, because at that time, New York was run by the Democratic Party and the machine down in New York City. Um, I know this because I read a book about Teddy Roosevelt and that was kind of a problem for him. Mm. But <laughs> um, let's see. I know he was president. I know he was vice president. Um, I don't know if he did anything before then, so let's just say vice president. That is correct. Vice president was the first elected position he ever held. Um, before his election in 1880, Arthur worked his way through the ranks of the Republican Party by way of political appointments, most notably as collector of the Port of New York. Oh, that was a good job to have. You got to control all the jobs back then. Yep. And he, he made a lot of money as collector of the Port <laughs> of New York, as I read this week until they changed the way that the collector was paid. And then he, he was still making a lot of money for, 18, for the 1870s, but was not nearly as much. Yeah, he, he was quite the political operative. Um, that was really interesting to read about. Uh, and finally, question five. One of the more significant pieces of legislation during Arthur's term was an act that banned immigration from what country for 10 years? Was this the Chinese Exclusion Act? Yep, that is correct. The Chinese Exclusion Act was signed by author, uh, Arthur on May 6, 1882. The Burlingame Treaty of 1868 allowed for basically unrestricted immigration from China. Um, Arthur signed the third attempt at passing the Chinese Exclusion Act. The previous two were vetoed by himself earlier in 1882 and by President Hayes in 1879. So that's the end of round two. You guys did really well with the Chester Arthur questions. So I'm very happy about that. Um, I, I think this is probably the official podcast for Chester Arthur trivia. I can't imagine there's any other <laughs> trivia podcasts that have an entire Take the mantle and run with it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I embrace that. Uh, Carter, can you please give us a score update? We have Matthew at 80 and Lucas at 120.
Alrighty, now it is time for round three. So, Carter, can you please tell us the rules? Yes, in round three, you will again get five open-ended questions. Questions here on a variety of topics, and they're worth 30 points each. If you get one wrong, your opponent can answer for 15 points. Alrighty, Matthew, are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Okay, question one. What interstate highway begins in downtown St. Louis and runs southwest to Tulsa and Oklahoma City? Oh, this is Interstate 44. That is correct, yes. Question two. Which article of the U.S. Constitution contains the Supremacy Clause? Ooh. Uh, as a reminder of the Supremacy Clause, uh, is that that the federal government stands above state laws? Yes. I feel like, uh, I don't think this was an amendment. I think it's in the Constitution itself. Um, it could be Article 1 or something after that. I'm going to say Article 1. Uh, no, not 1. Lucas? Then would it be Article 2? No, this is in Article 6, actually. Article 6? Yeah. Um, Article 6, Section 2 states that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and takes priority over state laws. Question three, the cricothyroid muscle stretches the vocal co- the folds in order to change the what of the phonated sound. So how is the sound changed? Mm, well, there, there's different terms I could use, and I don't know which would be right in terms of like sound science, but there's like, you know, volume, pitch, tone, but uh, I'm going to say pitch. That is correct. The cricothyroid, or the CT muscle, as the kids call it, can be worked out through exercises uh, so that one can stretch the folds further and increase one's range, which is obviously very important for singers. Question four. The Yamhill District is the only one of the original four districts of what northwestern state to still be completely within that state? This is a Mason question, if you couldn't tell. What kind of district is that? Um, frankly, I'm not <laughs> sure. Like, uh, this could be, um, anyway, th- this could be a lot of different, like, federal lands or a park, yeah. um, a business district. Um, but we've got Northwest, so it's kind of a dart throw here. Uh, I'm going to say Montana. Not Montana, Lucas. I know the Oregon Territory was a large territory that was later carved up into a bunch of states and some of it sent to Canada. So I'm going to say Oregon. That is correct. Yes, very good. Uh, And finally, question five. Sid Vicious was a rock bassist who was a member of what band? Ooh, I have no idea what band he'd be a part of. So... um... I'm going to say uh, Black Sabbath. No, not them. Lucas? That was a good guess. Um, Bassist, part of what band? Um, I don't know. Let's just say Van Halen. Um, No, Sid Vicious was a part of the Sex Pistols. Um, Yeah. And uh, he died of a drug overdose in 1979 um, at age 21. Uh, he was known for his self-destructive behavior. Yeah. And was also at one point charged with murdering his girlfriend uh, at a party. Yeah, it was a complicated person. 
At any rate, Matt, uh, uh, Lucas, are you ready for your five questions as a giant helicopter goes over my house? Yeah, let's do it. I sent that there to throw you off and give me oh, some thank easier you. questions. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, that's really low. It's all about this. It's the psychology of trivia over tea. That's that's really the, the key to success. Trying to throw the uh, the questioner off his game. <laughs> Clever. Okay. Well, here we go. Question one. What interstate highway begins north of Birmingham, Alabama, and runs northwest through Tupelo, eventually terminating in the Mississippi suburbs of Memphis? Ooh, northwest to Memphis from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, this this is embarrassing that I don't remember this one. Would this be um, Interstate 22? It would be Interstate 22. Very good. Question two. Hannah, Wyoming is the northernmost town located within the original boundaries of what other state, which used to claim a vast area in modern-day New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming? That would be Texas, because Texas had a much, uh, you know, when it was annexed into the United States as, as a former independent country, it stretched way farther north and west than it does today. That is correct, yes. Uh, question three. The 24th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished what? Ooh, okay. Uh, let me let me work through my amendments here. Uh, 25th Amendment is presidential succession. Um, abolished what? So right around that time, you'd have the creation of term limits. Um, what else could it abolish? What was abolished in the mid 20th century? I'm struggling and I'm embarrassed. Um, or abolished go, or, or prohibited, maybe. Let's go with poll taxes. It is, yep, poll taxes. Um, before the amendment's adoption in, in 1964, many states had levied poll taxes to prevent black Americans and poor whites from voting. Question four. Whose law explains that rapidly moving air exhibits less pressure than stable air. Um, I didn't take IB physics, so uh, I don't have an answer to this one. Okay. Uh, you don't want to throw a random I'm name? I'm going to say it's Murphy's Law. <laughs> um, <laughs> close. Um, no, uh, it's uh, it's not Murphy's Law. This is uh, Bernoulli's Law. Mm. Yeah, and it's important for vocal folds because um, it creates a closing <laughs> force that brings your vocal folds together. But it does not explain how they continue to, how they sustain oscillation. It only, it only explains how they uh, begin to oscillate. So there you go. The interdisciplinary intersection of vocal studies. It's impressive. <laughs> no, truly, we're, we're learning biology, we're learning physics. It's, it's, really, it's really quite a class, and neither, neither of which I took in college. So this is a good review. Um, throw right. back to Mr. Missinchek's biology class in ninth grade all those many, many years ago. <laughs> At any rate, uh, finally, question five. The 1861 Battle of Athens marked the only battle that directly affected the territory of what Midwestern state as shots from the battle landed in the city of Croton on its southern border? I hope I'm pronouncing that city correctly. C-R-O-T-O-N. Okay. Um, this Midwestern state. I know there's an Athens, Ohio, so that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, no, not Ohio. Matthew? 
Croton, Midwestern state. What conflict was this again? Um, so 1861 Battle of Athens marked the only battle that directly affected the territory of what mid Midwestern state? Mm, uh, this is interesting. There's a bunch of Athenses in the south, too. Uh, this is probably a border state. Could it be uh, Illinois? Um, you're closer. Uh, this was Iowa. Oh. Yeah, just a little little further mm -hmm. west. So I guess nobody was fighting over Iowa in the Civil War. Um, at any rate, uh, that's the end of round three. So Carter, can you please uh, give us a score update? We have Matthew at 140 and Lucas at 225. All righty, now it is time for round four. So Carter, can you please tell us the rules? Round four is our showdown, where you'll each get the same three questions. Questions here are worth 40 points each, and we'll ask you to write down or otherwise make note of your answers so we can reveal them at about the same time. Very good. All righty. Matthew, Lucas, are you ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. Question one. Which of King Henry VIII's six wives was the first to die? <laughs> oh, boy. King Henry VIII is one of those like trivia gifts that keeps on giving because there are so many different ways that you can ask questions about his wives. And and the funny thing is, is that a lot of people can name at least two, if not more, of his wives. So it you can use them on even people who don't know history sometimes. But anyway, yeah. Do we have any guesses, Matthew? I, I don't know any of King Henry's wives. Oh, okay. So I, I would be like um, uh, that era name for um, a woman. So I just said Mary. Okay. Um, Lucas? Um, my, my knowledge of English history is also insufficient. So this guess is truly a guess. Um, I came to the same conclusion, um, nature and nurture working together. I wrote down Mary as well. Oh, very good. Um, well, Mary was actually the daughter of King Henry VIII and this wife. Um, and his first wife was in fact, the first to die. Um, even though she was not executed, Catherine of Aragon. Um, was uh, was his first wife. And uh, she predeceased Anne Boleyn, who was executed by about four months. So there you go. Question two. On Friday, the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. announced that one of the paintings in its collection, Girl with a Flute, was not, as previously thought, painted by what 17th century Dutch master? All righty. Uh, Matthew, what is your guess? Uh I don't know very many Dutch people, and I feel bad saying that. If anyone here is listening to it in the Netherlands or just has a soft spot for the Dutch people, culture, and language, I apologize. But uh, I know Van is often used in Dutch names, so I'm going with <laughs> Van Gogh. Okay. Um, yeah, not, not, not a bad guess. Uh, 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 Lucas? I also came up with Van Gogh, but temporally, I don't think he was a 17th uh, century artist. So, but this, uh, again, uh, the, the Dutch artist kind of threw me for a loop. So the, this, this is the best I could come up with was Vincent Van Gogh. I think he may have been 19th century. Yeah, that, I think he was right? like yeah. later 19th century. Yeah. 
to be fair, I don't think I, I think there's about a zero percent chance that I would have actually come up with the correct response. Um, the only reason I wrote this question is because I got the New York Times alert. Yeah, Van Gogh was 19th century because um, I got the New York Times alert last night uh, that it was a Vermeer that uh, was uh, not actually a Vermeer. Yeah. Uh, Girl with the flute looks strikingly similar to the painting Girl with the Red Hat, which is actually a Vermeer. The National Gallery used forensic technology to examine the brush strokes in both paintings to determine that Girl with a Flute is just an imitation. And finally, question three. At the time that he was nominated to be vice president, Gerald Ford held what congressional leadership position? All righty. Lucas, we'll start with you this time. What did you come up with? I would say that Gerald Ford was the minority leader in the House of Representatives. Um, I know the Democrats had a majority in the House at this point, and I think Ford was from the House. Okay. Matthew? I'm going to say he was the minority whip. Um, he was, in fact, the minority leader. Very good, Lucas. And in the House. <laughs> um, he had been minority leader since 19, 1965 and had represented Michigan in the House since 1949. So Ow. there you go. Well, that's the end of the game. So, Carter, can you please give us the final score? We have Matthew at 140 and Lucas at 265. Well, congratulations, Lucas. Your two Trivia Over Tea stickers um, have propelled you to victory today. Do you have anything that you would like to say? You said it best. Um, I really think the, the volume of Trivia Over Tea stickers that you acquire and then display um on camera for all to see while you are um, a contestant on the show i mean if we're gonna do like some basic like algorithm building run a regression or something like that we could see like a clear like deterministic linear relationship between you know the number of stickers and your success on trivia over t so you know more than like the obscure knowledge I've acquired um, over the years that is doing me very little good. I think it's um, the fact that I had a couple of stickers that, that were visible to the camera that, that really pulled me through today. Future contestants take note. I couldn't have said it better myself. So make sure you display your trivia over tea stickers uh, when you're on the show. So, well, that's, that was beautiful, Lucas. Thank you uh, for that wonderful speech. Well, that's the end of our show for this week, folks. Thank you, Matthew and Lucas, for being on the show today, as well as Carter Zenke for being our scorekeeper and Mason Cook for composing the music. Today's questions were written by Mason Cook and yours truly. And thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe to Trivia Over Tea on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a review if you enjoyed it. And check out our Facebook and Instagram pages at Trivia Over Tea, as well as our Twitter account also at Trivia Over Tea. And feel free to message us on any of these platforms if you have any comments or suggestions regarding the show. And tune in next week when we'll have two new, or not next week, in two weeks' time, when we'll have two new contestants and 33 more fantastic questions. So thank you. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.